0: Um, my blood glucose fasting was 21.1 and I went through my phone the other day and um, I found, cause I would take photos of it for myself um, throughout the whole journey. And I actually was really quiet about going carnivore for at least the first month. Um, and then I just went, I'm telling everybody. <laughs>
1: Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of the Meek Medic Podcast. Now, today I'm joined by my special guest, Christina Matthewson and uh, Christina is a uh, traveling naturopath, which is a very interesting topic which we're going to get into today. Uh, and Christina has a great story of her own, as well as some people that she helps, of course, with their carnivore diet. So, Christina, if you're happy to maybe give us your background,
0: yeah, absolutely. So, um, I have been in the health field for probably about 15 years now, 10 of which was as a health coach. And then I upgraded into naturopathy and became a naturopath, a herbalist, a gaps practitioner, uh, all of those beautiful things, along with becoming a life coach as well, because I saw that there was, you know, it wasn't all just about what you put in your mouth, it was what you put in your mind as well. And so the crossover had to be there in order to be able to give people the long lasting results that they wanted. And of course, you know, I think probably most people in my field have some experimentation that starts with themselves and their own family and then it kind of goes out from there Um, it's usually what brings people into naturopathy so yeah that that's me about 15 years in this space of learning and developing over time what works what doesn't mindset stuff how all of that interplays and interweaves with doing the physical actual elements of the work too
1: yeah and of course you're a you're a traveling Naturopath, uh, which is obviously something different. So you do everything, you know, online basically, don't you? Everything's telehealth. Um, how did you kind of get into that? I mean, what what made you go go into the the you know digital nomad kind of traveling around and uh, and so on?
0: Well, to start with, like. The digital stuff came easy for me because I have seven children and we homeschool. So for me, my business has always had to fit in the pockets of time that we have. So, you know, I don't necessarily have nine to five hours. I might have a little bit here and a little bit there and then, you know, some more in the evening. Uh, And so that just made so much more sense to be digital versus trying to take up a physical space to do that. And then, you know, some of my children are getting towards adulthood. Well, they are adults, but they're still young enough that they're kind of, you know, still mine for now. And so we were getting to this space as well of going, well, if we want to travel, we want to travel as a whole family, we need to do it now or never. Uh, The kids are going to get to the space where they're going to take on jobs and get relationships. And at that point, you know, it's it's going to be really fragmented and only some of them will come with us. So we were planning on doing that. uh, 2020 was when we actually pretty much sold everything in our house got rid of most of our furniture and then april covid hit and everything went into lockdown mm. <laughs> so we've been ready for this journey for a couple of years now uh, but finally got on it um, at the end of last year so it's it's yeah. been a roller coaster ride
1: yeah, I'm sure. And you're just kind of traveling, touring around Australia, and and still obviously working uh, from your from your van. Um, I know you had issues with your van. I've uh, seen your 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 in your, your Facebook social media posts, of course. Uh, I've been following your journey with getting your uh, your barbecues out and everything, and certainly looks looks exciting. Um, yeah, well, wow. I mean, gosh, seven seven kids. That must be a, a little bit of a handful. They they the age now where they're kind of can can just kind of sort each other out or are you still having to be be the full-time mum and and, and and so on
0: i call it now functional they're functional to helpful you know when little kids like you know when they're babies they want to really be helpful but they're not very functional at doing it yep. now they're functional at being helpful but their desire to be helpful is less <laughs> But right, they are functionally yeah. helpful now. So they can help each other. Like one of my big boys helps my little boy learn to read and, you know, mm. that's part of their own learning journey as well. So uh, they are certainly active parts of it. And my husband does do quite a bit of stuff in the background for them as well. Um, mm. But that frees me up to be able to do this type of work too.
1: Yeah, well, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on my show. I mean, with seven kids, you're obviously digital um, and naturopathy service and so on. I know you're a very busy person, so I do really, very much appreciate it. And hopefully our listeners and viewers are going to get some, some good information out of today. Um, you mentioned there, of course, that you were going to go and do this whole trip and then COVID hit. And COVID, of course, put a spanner in the works for a lot of people, for a lot of things. But one thing that we really saw with COVID was people almost trying to then reclaim their health. Mm. How did did that kind of impact you? Uh, did you see an uptake? Did you see a downturn? What what was kind of because from from your side? Because I know people often seek out naturopaths uh, for various reasons, and we we will hopefully get into that a little bit later on, and the differences between doctors and naturopaths and the approach they take and so on. But um, what I see is is people going to see naturopaths, and I ask them, okay, why why is it that you're going? And they say, you know, to be listened to, to to be to be heard, and to kind of reclaim that their, their own health. Almost, I mean, is that is that what you found with COVID? Did you see a change there?
0: I saw, like, I I actually saw COVID as a really positive thing in many ways. For people starting to take their health seriously. Because one of the things that I certainly put out on my social media was the best thing you can do to prevent having any issues with COVID is to take care of your risk factors now. You know, those things like if you've already got pre diabetes, let's take care of that now. If you've got some autoimmune conditions, let's really get on top of those things now so that we can do preventative medicine versus we've got to now save your life because of, you know, these health complications that are playing out in the background. And so for me, I saw a lot of people. Start to do that as well as wanting to be proactive with having things in their household. So um, from the natural health perspective, you know, we've got lots of beautiful tools like vitamin C, etc., that can be amazing, but they are slow acting. They're not as fast as your pharmaceuticals are going to be. And so by the time people go, Oh, I'm sick, and then they go get the thing or they order the thing that they need, they're well and truly sick by the time they start it. And it's a much slower process. Whereas if you're proactive and you've already got the things in your house and you're already raring to go and you're already taking care of your immune system and your diet and you're starting to think about a healthier lifestyle, then when something does happen, it's a lot quicker and you're already on top of it by the time it, you know, could turn into something that's, you know, not not so beneficial for you.
1: Mm. Yeah. No. I mean, I think I think you probably hit the nail on the head there. A lot of people just became very health conscious. They started to realize that, yeah, maybe it was a good idea to try and look after themselves. Um, it's very interesting because even now, still, and I don't, don't want to get into the whole mask debate and vaccines and whatever and so on, but you know, even still now, we see very little health promotion in terms of let's let's modify your risk factors for COVID. You know let's let's get your weight down. let's get your diabetes sorted, let's get your blood pressure down, let's get your vitamin D up. You know all of these things which we know are associated with worse outcomes. um still, the messaging is almost just entirely wear a mask, get get your vaccine, which which you know I, I don't necessarily disagree with. Um, but and some people watching is probably going to disagree with that. But um you know those modifiable risk factors, we're still not really talking about them which is just crazy to me.
0: I think that that's crazy too. And that was the one thing that I was, you know, I was watching a lot of the news stuff that was coming out, the recommendations and the advice, and I was like, hang on why are you not telling people go to your doctor and make sure that you're on the you've got your health sorted the best that you possibly can check in and make sure that you're on as point as you can possibly be with your health um, issues that you might already have like these pre-existing cofactors that you already have like why are we not handing out free you know private health health advice sessions or you know pe type of sessions where we're we're supporting people getting physically active and those types of things well our only recommendation is these yeah there's a whole heap of tools there that were available but weren't necessarily being advertised or recommended
1: yeah, I mean, absolutely, and certainly uh, locally with me, my local community was very good, and then we did see physios and and EPs, exercise physiologists, you know, gym memberships and so on. Gyms, they were getting people involved in the community, you know, free sessions, trying to get them local, uh, get them active, and get them moving, and trying to reduce those risk risk factors and so on. But it's a shame it kind of took that community. I mean, in a way, it's good community kind of stepped up, and we did certainly see that with COVID, but. Um, yeah, it's a shame it didn't kind of come from a, from the government. You know, this real push to okay, this is a great opportunity to promote health. You know, what a great opportunity we've been handed this on on a platter. Uh, everybody, we've this captive audience, the whole world, and yet there was almost nothing.
0: <laughs> Such a shame. Exactly. I, I thought the same too, in the sense that you know there was these almost like there was this push to sit home and watch Netflix, and yeah. I'm like why not have free exercise videos airing on TV? Like, you know, there's About so that. much fear that's coming through the television screen. Why not some proactive things? Like I remember back in the day, and this is like way back in the 80s, where, you know, there would be a robocise on TV and, you know, it was totally daggy. But, you know, as a kid, <laughs> I definitely did it with my mom in the lounge room doing the, you know, 20-minute yeah. robocise that was there
1: yeah no, like, absolutely abs- that's it absolutely and i was uh what was i listening to the other day the meat mafia podcast and uh you know they were talking about this they had a guest on and they were talking about this saying you know when when COVID started it was the messaging was kind of you know go home stay home lock your doors don't interact with people you know isolate yourself um you know don't don't kind of go out and, and i don't know like i kind of just feel like maybe we missed we missed a big opportunity there and um and we're still missing the opportunity you know, for that health promotion. Um, I guess that's maybe a good segue into into maybe natu- natu- naturopathy and what you do. I mean, you mentioned health promotion a, a couple of times there. Um, maybe for our listeners who aren't maybe uh, au fait with with what a naturopath does, or uh, I know I have a number of doctors that also listen to my podcast, and they're going to be look, thinking at this going, oh my gosh, he's interviewing a naturopath. What's going on here? Maybe you could perhaps explain a little bit about what a naturopath does and why someone might come and see you and what how they might benefit from seeing you.
0: Yeah, so I think you and I work on similar sort of foundations there in the sense of functional medicine. And when I think about naturopathy or natural pa- naturopaths, I think about the natural path like my real role is to help you become aligned with what's going to be beneficial for your body so that's going to be slightly different for everyone because everybody's got slightly different health uh, backgrounds they've got conditions that they've previously had before they come and see me but ultimately it's for me to help you listen to what is your body actually needing right now? What is it needing more of? What is it needing less of? And how do we align you back to what is as close to as possible the natural path for you? So that might be using uh, herbs, it might be using homeopathics, it might be using uh, mindset tools, it might be using um, pharma nutraceuticals, so vitamin C. D, all of those types of things to help you get that back into balance. But my ultimate goal whenever I'm working with my clients is to get them to the point where we're really taking out all of that type of stuff. We might put it in to start with to get everything balanced and working as as it should do. But then over time, if we're working well and we're getting your lifestyle right, whether it be your food, the way that you're managing stress, the way that you're handling other things in your life, if we're working on getting those right, then we should get to a point where we can pretty much pull all of those things out and we're just relying on the food and maybe some herbs here and there through times of stress to actually help you manage your health situation. Now, that's all dependent on what's actually happened. So if somebody's come to me and they've got Graves' disease and they've already had their thyroid removed, we're never going to get to the place where we can only just rely on the natural things. There's always going to need to be a a, um, pharmaceutical need there because the organ has been removed. We can't repair something that's no longer existent and sometimes damage is permanently done and we can't repair damage that's been permanently done but we want to get as close to as possible as much of this stuff out and you're living your best life essentially where you're full of energy full of vibrancy Uh, your lifestyle is one that's actually making you feel really great versus one that's bringing you down and you like don't want to wake up in the morning versus yay I am awake in the morning
1: yeah, I mean, I think I think you made a very good point there. I mean, a lot of people don't experience that, sadly. They don't wake up in the morning and feel alive and feel great and feel happy to be alive and just jump out of bed, you know, ready to go. Um, they're having to scrape themselves out of the bed, you know, tempt themselves out of bed with the coffee or, or a slice of bacon or something, you know, because uh, they're just not ready to start the day. And they go through life, uh, you know, just being unwell. And sometimes they know they're unwell, sometimes they don't even know their own well which is which is really sad um it's very interesting that you mentioned there of course that your goal is actually to get people off some of these things some of their medications perhaps and uh, some of the things certainly that you're that you're starting with them because a, a common criticism that doctors have are of naturopaths is this kind of oh you know you just need to take all, all these herbs and all these remedies and look I've got I've, I've, I've just happened to have this pill that's going to fix you that that you can now buy from me um I mean where where do you kind of see that do you do you do you see that in naturopaths do you see that with other naturopaths or what's the what's the story there
0: I absolutely see that in other naturopaths and it's one of the things that so In my particular business, I have multiple roles, one of which is to serve my clients uh, in the space of their health. But then the other part of my business is education, and it's really about educating either the public or other naturopaths. And I do mentoring with other naturopaths because the current model that the education system is now for many naturopaths is very much along that line of here's the condition, here's the herb or the the supplement that you give based on this condition, and that's Basically the end of the journey. Whereas traditionally, naturopaths are about coming back to what is the root cause? Like what is the driver here? What is the actual thing that's creating this problem? And let's deal with that versus just band-aiding it with herbs or supplements or those types of things. So there's certainly still that massive element of that within the naturopathic field. And this is why I always recommend people is if the practitioner that you're going to work with offers a free 15-minute, 30-minute session take it and then decide from there if they're in alignment with the way that you actually want to meet your health goals. Because for me, Mike, I I look at myself and I go, I suck at taking supplements. Like I am the worst person at taking supplements. If it doesn't come in a food form, I'm probably not going to remember to do it unless there's an ache or a pain that reminds me to do it. Uh, And so I have always been of the mind of how do we get that into you via food? Because you're not going to not remember to eat. At some point, something's going to remind you to eat. Even if you're happy fasting most of the time, something's going to remind you to eat. And if I can educate you on what food to get that from, that's going to be a better place to go. But ultimately, that's not everybody's. practitioner not everybody's practitioner works like that just like you would have in your space too there will be doctors that you know are looking at the root cause that are trying to work out what are the underlying drivers and factors here but then there are others that have got 15 minutes if that in the consult and they're just trying to get their patient the best result that they can get in that 5, 10, 15 minute session and so I think this is where we as Patients and clients have to be proactive in our own advocates of deciding what do we actually want? How do we want that to be? And I talk about this with my clients as well, that you're allowed to choose the supplement method. You're allowed to choose the herbal method. They're very valid choices. You're allowed to choose them. But do so knowing that they aren't the end solution. They are maybe a part of the journey, but they're not the In solution. So for example, your thyroid condition is not an insufficiency of these particular herbs. Your thyroid condition is an insufficiency of other things that are going on in your body, that your gut might not be functioning as well as it could, that your adrenals might be out of balance, that, you know, there's something else out of alignment within your system that can be maybe brought back into alignment to give you the best results possible. And it's not a insufficiency of these herbs that are causing it. And so Without being active participants in our healthcare,
1: yeah, no, I mean absolutely. I think I think you're you're really spot on there, and it's very nice to hear you say that because I know this is a criticism that, that that some people do have for naturopaths. and I know particularly doctors have this issue. Um, another issue that doctors have with uh, with with naturopaths is the the lack of evidence. Um, now, I know the work that we obviously, we both do, of course, we are somewhat outside of evidence anyway, but I wonder if you could maybe speak speak to that a little bit about maybe the lack of evidence and what that means and uh, and your take on that.
0: Yeah, so from the perspective of evidence, there there is some evidence there, right? But our studies are much smaller than what you're going to get from a pharmaceutical type of study. So when we're looking at plant medicine, the research and the funding is not as prevalent or as high, there's not as much money in actually finding out or doing really good research on some of these pharmaceuticals or nutraceuticals um, as there is with the pharmaceutical companies and so that's always going to create an imbalance of evidence and research. The other element in that when it comes to research is that you can go to ten different naturopaths and they will prescribe you maybe some similar herbs but there's always going to be some differences and Usually what will happen is that, let's say you were one of my clients and you had a thyroid condition and there was a couple of other things going on. I'm going to write you a a script for particular herbs. Now, those herbs work in conjunction with each other. Now, when we look at some of the research studies that take place, they try to take one herb and study that particular herb and look at how is that affecting the body, whereas majority of herbalists are not using one herb. They're using them together in co-partnership to create a synergistic effect, which then makes it really, really hard to create a scientific study that's going to actually match that. And so some of it is the way that we practice that actually makes it really hard. Some of it is funding that makes it really hard um, to actually get you know, really good quality research and blind studies and all of that type of stuff. We just don't have the resources to be able to do that. We are seeing some, which is really exciting. And I know um, you're probably following Dr. Anthony uh, Chafee's work that he and one of his mentors are doing at the moment with cancer research and using the carnivore diet as a part of that that healing process afterwards. We're starting to see some of that come out but it takes a long time to get really good qualified research. Like by the time that's done it's going to be five, ten years before we start to get research that you and I could go here, here is the actual evidential research that what we think and suspect and hope is actually true is actually true. Uh, and so there's a lot of complications when it comes to getting evidence-based medicine um especially when it comes to that natural space
1: yeah i mean i think uh, very similar to just nutritional science anyway um nutrition when you're in the nutrition space you look at pretty much all of the nutritional evidence out there um most of them are not randomized control trials because it's very difficult to do rcts uh if they have a, a, a if you have a meta-analysis it's usually a meta-analysis of epidemiological studies or observational studies, which we know are already poor data on the whole anyway, Um, and then people make a a meta-analysis and say, well, look, I made a meta-analysis. Aren't aren't, aren't, aren't I really good with this? Well, no, because you've just kind of done a meta-analysis of garbage studies, (laughs) garbage in, garbage out, basically. Um, So nutritional studies are very poor anyway. So nutrition is a relatively evidence-free space, I think, as it is. Um, I mean, I guess you'd probably argue, well, the evidence is, or the proof's in the pudding, so to speak. Um the evidence, you know, is, well, if people improve, then then it's worked, and that's all the evidence, I guess. You 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 know, you you would say you need. Um, but I know it, it is it is a criticism that some people have, and I know certainly when I started my lifestyle medicine course, um, and I got board certified, um, I remember I it's probably still up on my website. I, w- I read a blog post, you know, basically saying. Um, you know, lifestyle medicine is the only, only evidence-based, you know, naturopathy doesn't have any evidence, integrative medicine and so on. And I mean, I've, I've, I've come away since then. Uh, I'm a little bit more open-minded. I think now I was a little bit zealous perhaps back then. Um, but it's interesting, uh, you say that, of course, carnivore, uh, cause I know that you're a carnivore. I've seen your social media, of course, I follow you. Um, how do you kind of square carnivore with plant medicine and herbs and so forth
0: yes yeah, so from the this is an interesting one because when we look at from when we look at it from a plant-based toxin space in um carnivore we look at it from you know these plants are going to offer us lots of different uh, plant toxins their defense mechanisms uh, and so i think it's for me it's about dosage You know, when we're eating a lot of it, we're getting a big dose of those plant chemicals, which can be really challenging for particular people. You know, if they've got salicylate problems, if they've got histamine problems, if they've got a lot of those particular challenges, that can be a big challenge for them. But when we look at it from a plant-based medicine, we're having a smaller amount. We're having vastly greater, smaller amounts than what we would if we were eating it every day, three times a day, maybe five times a day. Uh, And so I think about it as a dose amount in the sense that the dose is important um, you know a little bit of something can be good for us a lot of it doesn't mean that it's really good for us either uh, and so for me that's where i come from and i come from the space of for a lot of people who come and work with me to start with their diet and their lifestyle has been the thing that's got them into trouble and we need to kind of balance some of those things and just support them a little bit so that we can get the diet and the lifestyle back into the place of healing them and helping them get better now that's not the case for everyone Lots of people can jump straight into carnivore and don't need any herbs or don't need any other sorts of things to actually help them. But then there are also other people who are coming in who are chronically sick And they actually do need some type of support, whether it be pharmaceutical support. And I have clients where I'm working with their doctor, and I'm working with them, and we're working together as a team to be able to help them, um, be able to get food in that's actually going to be really beneficial for them in the long term. But then I've got others that come and they just need some extra herbal support, or they need some nutritional support, and as well as doing the diet and the lifestyle stuff. So um, I think. just like anything, it's all relative to where you've come from, and what's going on in your body, as to what support you actually need in that moment in time.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I've certainly heard it said a few times as well. People consider, um, you know, plants plants are medicine, not not food. You know, basically. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's kind of where where you're coming from uh, there. Um, so do you you talk to your patients about about the carnivore diet or just diet in general? Or what, what is it that you kind of talk to your patients about there with food?
0: Yeah, so when it comes to somebody's come to me, I always think that health is a pick-your-own-adventure because at the end of the day, I'm not going to be at your house feeding your kids, listening to them whine about what they're eating or not eating. I'm not going to be there, like, cooking the food and chopping it up and doing your grocery shopping all of that type of stuff. I might be emotionally there to support you, You might be jumping on Voxer and actually talking to me and going, oh my god, I'm really struggling with like blah 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 right now and we talk through that via Voxer. But I'm not going to be there to do it all for you. You have to be the person in your own home that's making these changes and so you need to pick the adventure that's going to work for you right now. And for some people they're like me and they're like, Let's go hardcore, let's go carnivore. Uh, Other people are the slow and steady. They need a really methodical process to actually get them to the place where they need to get to. So I always present them with options. So I say, here's the slow process. Here's where the baby steps that we take to get you where you need to go. Here is the faster one. And you get to pick anything in between that. Uh, and you just tell me what you actually want and which method you would like to go with. And I'll support you through that. Because while I love carnivore and I've seen tremendous results in it for myself, but also other people, it's not for everyone to jump straight into. It sometimes takes them a little bit of time to get their head around it and to start to think about even eating meat because I've had people who have come from the space of veganism and you know for them to jump straight into eating a lot of meat is a really hard pathway even if they know that that's what they actually need it's a really hard pathway and so it might be just a little bit of baby steps to get them to where they start to feel better and they can make better decisions and they can do more things uh, along that so I always present them with a, a, a range of options it's a pick your own adventure choose what's going to work for you because i'm i know how i work best you are not the same as me you are your own individual person so what's going to work best for me is not necessarily going to work best for you
1: mm. no you're right and um yeah i mean vegan to vegan to carnivore of course is a pretty hardcore switch in that even if they know that that's what they want to do it's still hard for people um i had an interview recently uh which should be out by the time this is out uh with with james uh who was an ex-vegan and uh, is now full 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 carnival and and yeah he knew it was it was killing him the vegan diet but it was still not easy you know for him to transition so um how do you get people started on carnivore if that's the route they want to go down i I know what you do because you've told me previously and i unashamedly have stolen it with my patients and i hope you don't mind because it's excellent um but for anyone that doesn't know what's your kind of tips on on starting a carnivore diet
0: yeah. So generally speaking, I will get all my carnivore people to do an apple cleanse to start with, which sounds completely ridiculous. But the whole purpose is that for a lot of people who start either keto or start a high fat diet of any type is that they've probably come from a space where they've been eating a lot low, lot of low fat options. So they haven't had much fat in their actual diet and so therefore their gallbladder can get a little bit sluggish. It can you know, not be moving as much as it it maybe needs to in order to match what they're actually starting to put in. So I usually get them to do like an apple cleanse, which is basically three days of eating six apples until you are so glad that you are not eating any more apples after that. And it really is just to... give give their digestive system a big clean out, but also to get that gallbladder nice and working the way that we want it to, soften anything that's there uh, with the pectin in those apples and actually get them ready to cleanse their palate and start to jump into it. But my favourite way is to say to them after this, I want you to go and pick your favorite meats. I want you to pick the things that are like, you know, you can't wait to actually eat where you're like, is it lunchtime yet? Because I'm getting to have like that salmon or is it, you know, dinner time yet? Because I'm having like this roast and, you know, start with that first week or two being really excited about the things that you get to eat, like full permission to eat whatever meats you actually want to. You don't have to hold back on anything jump and dive right in. After that, think about budget and think about how you might manage this more long-term. But that first couple of weeks is the hardest if you are not looking forward to the food you're eating because that's when you're going through your die-off, it's when you're going through your sugar cravings, it's when, you know, you're feeling a little bit lousy, especially in those first three to five days uh, and you want to be, like, excited about the food that you're eating versus, oh, I've just got a can of studies to eat today.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I haven't, I haven't heard you mention the 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 apples before. Actually, I'll have to look into that. Um, but certainly, the the eat, eat, eat what you like. That's the bit that I've certainly stolen. I hope you don't mind. Um, I certainly find with a lot of my patients, it's 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 ribeye steaks. I mean, who who can't resist a ribeye? Um, and even people that don't like steak, you know, you say the ribeye, and they're like, oh yeah, if, if, you know, a ribeye, of course, if, of course, I'll eat a ribeye. <laughs> And and they just go oh you know I can just eat ribeye for a week I'm like yeah just just go and eat ribeye for a week and uh, maybe bacon and eggs for breakfast and then just whatever you want to do after that just go and do it but that's a I find it's it's a good way of getting people into the idea of of eating meat because it's just delicious and it's easy to eat it's easy to cook you really can't <laughs> go that far wrong with it it tastes great whatever you do to it and um you know just it's got the fat and it's got the protein and it's got the nutrients that we want um and it's just delicious so people don't mind it mm-hmm. and then I say to them yeah like just a week and then you do a week and then you do a week and I think I stole that from you as well so thank you um but I, I just thought that was such a good way um so I've, I hope you don't mind I've stolen that um, Sorry for it. so so you're obviously carnivore yourself how did how did you Get into carnivore. Because I know you've got your own health journey as well. Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Your your health journey is amazing.
0: Ah, thank you. Um, so for me, I started carnivore. I started carnivore nine what well, seven months ago, nearly eight months now, uh, and I started it for a whole bunch of different reasons. One of which, my blood glucose was off the charts. So I don't recommend anybody at home following along and doing exactly what I did. Maybe take it bits of it, but. Um, my blood glucose fasting was 21.1 and I went through my phone the other day and um, I found because I would take photos of it for myself um, throughout the whole journey and I actually was really quiet about going carnivore for at least the first month um, and then I just went I'm telling everybody <laughs> but um, that first that first month like Prior to it, I had one blood glucose that I found this week that was um, 29.8. And I'm like, at that point, I should have been hospitalized on an insulin drip and all of this stuff. But um, (laughs) it was those things that I was like, I need to make an actual decision here. I can't just let this keep going. And I made the decision that I either go to a doctor and get on medication, which for me was like complete, I would be like selling my soul for that. Uh, And and that's my own personal stuff um, but or do something completely dramatic drastic and I went back to some of the stuff that I'd done when I just when I had gestational diabetes in that first couple of pregnancies that I had which was I knew that meat wasn't going to push my blood glucose up because I experimented like all heck when I had those babies because I wanted to do the best that I could for them uh, and I knew meat wasn't going to do that so I just started with that and As I went on the journey, I started to learn a little bit more about the term carnivore because I'd previously been, you know, sort of, privy to it and aware of it and I'd done stuff with clients before that were meat-based sort of diets so GAPS for example is gut and psychology syndrome gut and physiology syndrome and it's basically mostly meat that's slow cooked and then some vegetables that you start to bring in over time you start to add in foods it's a bit of an elimination diet but I'd had patients that I'd done that with before and we'd done the no plant version of GAPS Uh, and we got tremendous results so for me I knew about it from that perspective but I hadn't heard this term carnivore and once that started to come into my mind it actually started to make me go oh this is even easier than the plant-free version of gaps and I could probably manage that in the sense that during that period of time in my life was coming towards the end of the big bulk of work with COVID Uh, and so you know I'd been flat out during that period of time my husband was the main cook and like he can't really cook he can burn water Uh, and so we were just getting whatever he could eat because I just didn't have time to actually get in the kitchen and do the cooking in the making but I knew he could cook a steak and I knew he could cook some meat for me and he could bring that in and I could you know keep doing the work that I was doing and I could be eating and and so I I knew that when I started to open my mind up to carnivore and letting go a little bit of the gap stuff that my husband can do this (laughs) which means that I can eat this food and I know that he's going to be able to do it and it's going to taste great and I love meat so why not just do that and it was a whole process and I'm not sure if you went through that process too of just going okay of self-discovery really of going you know when I go to a restaurant what do I look for do I go oh what vegetables are on the plate no that's not me I am like what is the protein and maybe what vegetables come with that protein That's usually how I select a meal at a restaurant. I was like, oh yeah, my mind always goes to the protein first. Like that's what I'm hanging out for. It's what I'm looking for. Mm. Like I don't care if there's potatoes and chips and salad on there. I just want the protein. And then whatever that comes with, I might eat that. Um, And so just going through this process of self-discovery, realizing what does my body actually want? What is it actually asking for? And giving myself permission to actually just go there, which was hard in the sense of letting go of all the knowledge that I had about vegetables and, you know, different vitamins and minerals and what was in each one and all of the other stuff. Like there's an encyclopedia of knowledge in my head of, you know, what plants have what things in them uh, and letting go of that and just go, you know what, I'm just going to experiment and try and see what actually happens and I'll document what's actually happening for me. And see if this is helpful for other people as well. And, of course, it actually was.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I never thought of it like that, actually, that, um, uh, you know, you go to a restaurant, you go to a cafe, whatever, and you're going out for food and okay, you you look at it and go, well, what do I want? And you're not looking at the vegetables. You're not looking at the size. You're looking at do I want fish? Do I want, you know, chicken? Do I want beef? Uh, and then it's like, oh, what does it come with? I never actually, I never thought of that. And you're absolutely spot on. You absolutely are um so so you had kind of i know you're you're a a gaps practitioner um and you've Mm -hmm. done this no plant kind of gaps version with people so you'd obviously seen the benefit and then you just decided to kind of go go carnivore uh from your previous experience of course with meat during gestational diabetes being pregnant um obviously i mean for our listeners out there um anyone that knows a blood sugar of you know close to 30 is of course pretty dangerous. Um, and the standard medical advice would be to go to go see a doctor, probably go to an emergency department if that blood sugar is 30. Um, that being said, uh, of course, you decided not to, which obviously in your case turned out fine, of course, thankfully. Um, but then you took it on yourself to, to, to do this. How quickly did you notice those blood sugars actually coming down
0: Very quickly and this is part of the reason that I like I've got my little tracking book here So I've pretty much tracked my blood glucose from the very beginning um, As to how quickly it came down. Uh, And so I've got a whole record of all of that. So um, Yeah I say my first one was 21.1, but I'm actually looking here and it was 22.7 as a fasting blood glucose But within nine days it dropped down to 12.7 so it came down very, very quickly. It stayed around that 12 to 10 for a couple of like a, about a month and a half. And I've noticed that for me every month it's come down a point. So now I'm regularly in the fives. But and that was the other thing that helped helped me continue to go was that I was watching my blood glucose. I knew exactly where everything was going to be and I could see the pattern Of what was actually happening that pretty much every month i'd drop down into another point and another point and another Mm. point Uh, and so i could lean in and trust this is working i can see that this is actually working so i didn't have that panic of oh my gosh this is not working i'm going to die or any of those other things but also at the same time i had this other thing that was happening which was energy was going up like my energy just went through the roof i didn't need to have day naps anymore which is kind of where i got to with my blood glucose so high was that i was like fully asleep during the day uh, and struggling to stay awake and my my energy levels went through the roof my weight started to drop i started to feel really good like all of this other stuff was happening as this was also going down as well so i've i've tracked it all
1: yeah and you you've lost um 39 kilos is that right
0: so far
1: yeah gosh and and you've been kind of off how long now
0: seven months
1: seven months so 39 kilos in seven months i mean that's just incredible really
0: 231 it? days
1: yeah that's just that's just amazing um so yeah i mean yeah you've lost what so seven seven months What's that about 28 weeks 39 kilos i mean that's almost about a, a kilo and a half a week yeah pretty much
0: and Um, some goes up and some goes down in the sense like you know there's there's big drops and then sometimes there's no drops but that's where i always talk to my clients about tracking like i measure myself waste, bust, all the things, I measure that every week so that I can see what's happening from that perspective. I measure ketones, I measure blood glucose, when I have a BP monitor I measure those things, like I track as much as I possibly can so that I can gain information from that as to what's altering, what's changing, what's impacting my health and I can tell you like because I've done that I can see that you mentioned earlier that our car broke down, our van broke down, my blood glucose jumped up two points when when that happened. Mm. And that for me was like, oh my gosh, look at how much stress actually impacts my blood glucose and what's happening with my liver and all of those types of things. And if I'd not been tracking that, I wouldn't have known that. Mm. The other thing is there's been months where I haven't lost hardly any. I've lost maybe a couple of kilos. But when I've done my measurements, I've lost five centimetres off my waist. And that was this conversion between fat and muscle where I've gained a lot of muscle that month. And if I'd just been looking at the scales, I would have gone, oh, my God, this is not working and be like really sad and upset. Mm. But I could see that it was working because I was tracking all these other measurements as well.
1: Yeah and I think that's very very good advice for anyone that's doing any kind of, of 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 diet change to to try and lose weight uh is is to track those other measurements you know waist circumference uh you know chest circumference these kinds of things um I often go on um uh, clothes sizes I just it's easier people don't always have a tape measure but if you're if your clothes are getting looser you're losing fat basically it's very very simple
0: I- we'll go with that to an extent because for women a lot of women who are plus size will wear oversized clothes already so it's actually not until it's actually hanging off of them that they start to go oh hang on there's a big difference here okay fair enough. Uh, yeah. if they're a little bit lighter they they will wear tighter fitting clothes but that's what i found for myself as well like I was like, oh, I, can't, I can't even see that I'm losing weight because I was wearing oversized clothes already uh, to, to hide my body and all of that. Uh, and then it wasn't until I started to wear tighter clothes that mm. I went, oh, OK, now I can start to, to see that as well. Yeah,
1: no, fair, fair enough. Words of wisdom, words of wisdom. Uh, I guess a lot of what I see is men. And uh, I do see female patients, of course, and yeah, men tend to wear... Um, Sometimes inappropriately tight trousers and so on. you kind of just just hang it underneath underneath the belly, and you know, uh, and so uh, anyway, um so I mean, your your blood sugars, obviously very, very quickly, I mean, within just over a week, uh, didn't quite normalize, but not that far off necessarily, um which was which is which is amazing. And of course, you felt great, you know, you felt incredible. Um, and you've never were diagnosed with diabetes because you didn't, you didn't go to the doctor. But I mean, for all intents and purposes, we have, or you have rather, effectively kind of, so to speak, cured yourself, or at least in remission now from, from, from what was most likely, of course, diabetes, type two diabetes. Um, and you feel amazing. You look, you look great. I've seen your photos. The, the changes is, is unbelievable. Uh, you've lost like 40 kilos. That's, that's insane. I mean, that's almost as much as some people weigh. And yet some people on your Facebook page are, are trolling you saying that you are going to kill yourself. And I've, I've seen, I've seen <laughs> some of these, these posts are saying that you're really unhealthy. How can you possibly suggest this to people? You shouldn't be posting about this. It's really dangerous. I mean, what, what do you say to, I know, I know what you said, but what, what what do you, what do you say to people like that when clearly this is working for you?
0: Yeah, so I always find those those posts are really really interesting because of course you, you've never you've never really gotten anywhere until you've got some haters on your page. So I'm like, come come, this is so much fun for me. Um, <laughs> And I think too, also, I'm in the space of where I'm completely congruent with my message. Like I'm fully believing it. I'm fully in it. I've seen the transformations. I've seen it work in so many different spaces for so many different people that it doesn't actually matter to me what those people say because they're not my people. They're not the people that I'm speaking to. And maybe one day they will actually be those people, but right now they're not. Uh, And so... For me, it doesn't bother me when people people ask those questions and say those things, and sometimes I actually use them as um, methods of content, like they provide me with great questions to actually go, great, I'm going to do a YouTube video on this because this is the question that people ask me about, which is fibre. I'm sure you get asked about, but what about fibre mm. all the time? Oh, yes, fibre. Uh, awesome this is a great conversation thank you for like bringing this to my mindset so that I can remember to answer this for people Uh, and I try and take it from that perspective and that I remember as well that even for me like when I sit back and I was thinking about going carnivore and I just had an innate knowing that this is what I needed to do even then I was still bumping up against my own educational knowledge that I'd been, you know, given for so many decades of my life about the food pyramid and then, you know, with with nutritional studies, like, you know, these we need these much vegetables and we need this so we need that and we need fibre and we need all of these other things. So, you know, I, I kind of try and give them the grace that they're still in that space of not yet... Breaking out of that type of thinking that they haven't been able to move past it at this point and they need some evidence which is again why I actually share my journey because I want to provide people with the evidence of it Uh, and I always have a little bit of a laugh every so often I'll put into a post you know when I'm sharing about how much weight I've lost and how well I'm doing not dead yet (laughs) 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 I always have a little bit of a laugh and a play with those things because It really is the people who are looking for alternative solutions that have tried everything and that, as a naturopath, is usually who I get. I usually get people who have done the run of the mill of everything that they can find out there and they come to me as their last resort. Uh, And, you know, I usually go, well, if I'm your last resort, let's try something wild. Let's try something Mm. you've never tried before and see what might actually happen. Uh, And that kind of excites them as well. So I just keep thinking about these are the people that I'm talking to and if enough of us actually start to normalise it, then it will become part of the norm that people are much more accepting and much more open to actually looking outside of the box. But it also provides us with that opportunity to break some of those myths, like, of course, the cholesterol myth, which Always comes up. People always go, but what is your cholesterol like? And I'm like, I don't really care what my cholesterol is like. You know, all of these other things, like the five factors of heart disease for me, are all reducing. uh, All of that's coming down. So, you know, for me, I don't really care what my cholesterol is like, but, you know, if you want to know, here's some great stuff. Paul Mason does some really great videos on it. There's lots of great information on it. Dr. Natasha has written a book on it. Put your heart in your mouth. There's loads of good information out there that you can get where you can learn a little bit about that. So I kind of try and look at it from that point of view.
1: Mm. Yeah, I, I, we, we see that quite a lot Is is, is and it comes often from doctors unfortunately. Um, not being able to see the wood for the trees, you know, or see the forest for the trees, you know, you've, you know, we see people that have cured their diabetes, they've cured their hypertension, they've got off all these medications, their kidney functions improved, their liver, liver's normalized, they no longer have metabolic syndrome, um, they're losing a ton of weight, they feel amazing, and their LDL goes up by 0.1. And then the doctors say, right, well, now you need a statin and, you, and you're going to die, you need to stop this 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 diet. And, and the patients are looking at them just like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> you? You know, it's like, do, do you actually hear yourself? Like, I told you I'm doing this well, and all you can say is, "Well, you're 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 harming yourself." Like, it's just crazy, isn't it? But I think it just shows this this you know cognitive dissonance that that's out there. And and I mean, so many of my my guests have said exactly the same thing. You know, they've been doing amazing. Everybody's just like, "Wow, you look so good. You're so healthy. What are you doing?" I must get on this diet. It's so amazing. They tell them, "Oh, I'm just eating meat," and it's like no, you you're just you're you're terrible and you're gonna die. You know, it's like it's just it's this crazy <laughs> dissonance there, but um but we've even got people, I mean, you mentioned of course cholesterol. um we've got people like uh, Dr. Paul Mason, of course doing amazing work in the cholesterol space. Uh, anyone that doesn't know who Dr. Paul Mason is, definitely should get onto his YouTube channel. He's got videos on low carb down under and so on doing amazing work there. Uh, i I've, I've learned a lot from from Dr. Paul Mason. Um, we've got people like uh, I think it's Dr. Philip Ovadia. Uh, I believe he's in the states. Um, he's a cardiothoracic surgeon, I believe. Uh, hopefully, I'll get him on the channel at some point. Uh, and and uh, if I reach out to him, hopefully, he'll accept. Uh, and he wrote this book. Uh, what's it called? Get off my table, I think it's called. Um, you know, and he's a cardiothoracic surgeon, saying you know, animal-based nutrition is very good for you. Don't worry about cholesterol and so on. And this guy deals with it <laughs> day to day. You know, uh, and then we've got other people like uh, Dr. Gary Fetke, orthopedic surgeon, Professor Tim Noakes in South Africa and so on, of course, you know, talking about this cholesterol. But it's crazy to me, like cholesterol, we have to accept that cholesterol is associated with heart disease, All this, there's lots of studies that show that. If you say it's not, well, you don't really know what you're actually talking about. But of course, we know that correlation doesn't equal causation. Um, and in fact, in some populations, it's been found to be protective. So if it's protective, there's absolutely no way it can be causative that the two things can't coexist, basically, in my opinion, anyway, someone proves me wrong, fine. But in my mind, they can't coexist. Yet we see it time and time again, just LDL cholesterol has become the end point. You know, I, 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 I got a letter from a cardiologist recently about a patient that said, basically, you know, it doesn't matter what we do, as long as it's LDL, is below 1.5 like that was the end point it wasn't like oh we need to fix his heart disease it was no we just need to get his (laughs) cholesterol down it's just like okay like
0: well and that's the thing too is like I think about from the perspective of like if you were doing a differential diagnosis on somebody you don't just take one thing in their blood panel and create the diagnosis around it you look at all of the different patterns you look at the different elements that are going on oh yes we can see that there's a pattern of here you've got some symptoms that are matching that pattern Uh, now we can create some differential diagnoses based on that Mm -hmm. and so why is this one marker in cholesterol any different that this one thing where we're just looking at the one thing but everything else seems to be fine when everything else is going well, the client is saying to you or the patient is saying to you, "I've got energy. I'm feeling great. You know, i've I've not felt this good in a really long time, if ever in my life. But we still take this one thing that's on there and go, okay, that, that's that's going to kill you. yeah. And I'm like, mm, when did we make that change? Like,
1: yeah, well, it was it was about uh fifty years ago with Ansel keys and uh, <laughs> and the diet heart hypothesis. it's <laughs> pretty clear when that started um but yeah you're right i mean we 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 take this this one thing blow it you know out of all proportion and completely ignore the patient in front of us and say well you know you know we need to we need to do take this this one thing um you know i had a conversation with a patient recently uh they were put on statin a couple of years ago they're only uh like 30 something very very young early 30s and you know they went back through their cholesterol the ldl was like four it was like one above the reference range two maybe at most Uh, and there's no risk factors no family history nothing and yet they they probably had metabolic syndrome but um, and i've diagnosed them, them with that now but you know really a statin wasn't warranted at all um and there was no attempt to actually help the patient to reduce their cardiac risk factors it was just go on a statin and the patient didn't want it they felt terrible they came to me and i said you know they just came in standard thing. Oh, I'm just, I'm just here for my prescription, you know? And then kind of 45 minutes later, they're leaving happy. Uh, all because I asked them the question, why why are you taking it? <laughs> like, yeah. what, what, what is this for? And they're like, I don't know, just high cholesterol. Like, okay, but why do you have high cholesterol? Let's look at your other risk factors and let's go through the evidence. And, you know, basically they are like, well, yeah, I don't, I never wanted to take it in the first place. It makes me feel terrible. I don't want it. And they weren't told about the risk of diabetes. They weren't told about the risk of Coenzyme Q10 going down. They weren't told about, you know, the, the side effects and so forth. Um, and there was no attempt to educate them on metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, you know, any of these other risk factors. It was just going on a statin anyway. Um, I'm conscious of time um is there anything i mean this has been a fantastic conversation and hopefully our our viewers have actually listeners have i've got value out of this because um i was really looking forward to talking to you today because i really wanted to kind of delve into that little bit between between doctors and naturopaths because we know there is this turf war uh which is which is sad because everybody's just trying to do the best for their patients their clients and i believe personally that most naturopaths functional medicine doctors, integrative medicine doctors, and, you know, conventional medicine doctors, um, we probably have more similarities than we have differences.
0: I agree with you there. Like, I, I agree with you there as well. And I think that we also have different functions too, as well. Like, you know, for me, what is it, 10 years ago now, if there weren't doctors and surgery and blood transfusions and all the things, I wouldn't be here today. Like I had a pregnancy where I had placenta procreta. So my placenta had eaten all the way through my uterus into my bladder and my, you know, major blood supply. So if emergency medicine was not there, I would not still be alive. So I'm not like absolutely against all of it. Like there is absolutely a a need for it, as well as there's a need for looking at some of the other things that maybe Chronicle and Lifestyle Medicine uh, does a little bit better with when you have the time to actually sit down and talk with clients. And that was one of the things that you mentioned earlier on in this conversation for me was that, you know, one of the reasons people come and see naturopaths is because They have an hour and a half. Like our first consult together is an hour and a half. They get to share everything that they've been through. While they're talking, I'm listening for different cues about what's happening for them on a mental and emotional and a physical level and starting to piece together that scenario for them. And that doesn't necessarily always happen in a doctor's office. Like I can just imagine the bill, how much that would actually cost to be there for an hour and a half with them. Uh, And then, you know... That's just one element. But also, too, looking at it from multiple different levels. Like for me, I don't always just look at it from the physical level. I'm looking at, okay, so here's what's happening with your thyroid and your adrenals and here's what's happening with your liver and those types of things. But then I'm going, okay, so where did you learn that you weren't allowed to talk in your life because they've got a thyroid condition? So that, for me, tells me their energy has been blocked off at their thyroid. So I'm going to ask some questions around that, which then starts them on a roller coaster of being able to unpack the emotions that are keeping them doing the things that are sabotaging their life and so it's a bit more expansive than just looking at the physical element which I'm absolutely sure a lot of functional medicine doctors do as well but that's because they look for things slightly different even than just the straight allopathic medicine model as well and I think that there's a place for every part of this medicine you know I work with oncology doctors all of the time to help their oncology patients eat really well to be able to prevent you know some of the follow-on effects that can happen from radiation and chemotherapy so we we can work together really well when we work as a team and we recognize that we have different roles within that but also recognizing that health for me is more than just your physical body it's your mental and emotional space as well and if one of those is out you're not really healthy anyway.
1: Mm. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, I obviously a board certified lifestyle physician and you know, a big part of what I do, of course, is looking at the mental health as well as the physical health, the sleep, the social relationships, our diet, nutrition, um, you know, smoking, cessation, drugs, et cetera. Um, obviously, lifestyle medicine promotes a plant-based diet. I don't obviously promote that, uh, being a carnivore myself and talking to patients about carnivore. But I definitely, of course, advocate for a whole food diet um but yeah i mean i I think the biggest problem with allopathic conventional medicine is time i really do um
0: yeah i think it's multiple in the sense that you know the system has been set up for there not to be much time but also sometimes the patients come in with that that ethos as well that i just am here for my script and so on so i don't necessarily think that it's the doctor's doing i think it's actually a whole facet of, you know, the system, how our patients have been educated to actually deal with the system. And all of that needs to kind of change in order to be able to create the, the really great results that we're actually all after.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and, and the system, the whole system is, is kind of broken. Uh, and of course, here in Australia, of course, we have Medicare, the state insurance system. Uh, who basically penalise and punish if the doctors if they do longer consultations, mm-hmm. um, they're they're robbing essentially robbing patients of their their rebates if they go longer consultations, uh, which drives it to these short consults. I mean, what can you really do in fifteen minutes? I mean, you're talking about an hour and a half, you know. And and I I usually have like a forty five minute consult for for new patients, especially for for the carnivore patients and functional kind of patients. Really, it goes to an hour anyway, pretty much. Uh, and even that's not enough. It's it's just you know barely scratches the surface. Um, when I do my psychology work, you know, usually it's maybe like six six sessions at least, um, depending on how the patient's going. Sometimes it's just one, and it's just great. You know, I help them, and they, they're off, they go, and they're they're fine. Um, but, you know, that's usually six one-hour sessions. I mean, that's like six hours. What can you do in 15 minutes? <laughs> you know, for someone with mental health issues, exactly. for example, when you've got exactly. a psychologist or, a, a, you know, a psychological pract- practitioner like me, you know, doing hour- six hours worth of consults at least, typically, you know. But um, it's fascinating, actually. I mean, I, I talk to patients about about kind of a diet, animal-based nutrition in those psychology sessions as well. Assuming they're happy to talk about it, Um, and very often they report they they get better mentally, uh, which is just is just incredible.
0: Well, exactly, and I would say for myself, like you know, I I briefly touched on that pregnancy that I had afterwards. Like you know, it took me eight months to be able to rebuild my energy to the point where I could walk around the supermarket on my own and um, you know not be monitored like a child to make sure that I hadn't fallen down or passed out in the supermarket. So that took a long time, but that. I knew that I needed to eat meat to get to that space. Like it was the only thing that I wanted to eat it was the only thing I actually craved after that experience to get myself back up. And I'd, lo- I'd used 178 units of blood. So, you know, I lost a lot of blood through that process and I needed a lot of, you know, rebuilding of my body after that. And I always joke because there was one moment in time when none of the bod- blood in my body was actually my own. <laughs> it was all donor blood. Yeah. Uh, and so... When people ask me, like, how did you get this sick to start with? Well, you know, there was some significant trauma that took place to get there as well as, you know, busyness and having seven kids and running a business and so on. And that takes a journey to actually undo and actually process mentally and emotionally all the physical stuff that takes place during that.
1: Yeah, gosh, I'm I'm kind of stunned. 178 units of blood?
0: Yeah. I used all of Tasmania's available O negative blood, and then I used half of Melbourne's. Wow,
1: that's that's um that's insane. Uh, oh gosh, I'm kind of stunned actually with that. I'm almost speechless. I mean, I remember back in back in junior doctor days, we had a patient coming in hem- hemorrhaging from the GI tract, uh, and I remember it was terribly exciting. Obviously, not not for the patient, of course, but and they they did fine. They did fine um and i kind of you know we had this kind of almost like big big red button kind of the the emergency hemorrhage kind of protocol i can't remember the exact name of it now and you kind of hit hit this it wasn't really an actual button a a metaphorical button um (laughs) but but you'd call you'd call the team and you say right i'm activating the you know the massive the massive hemorrhage protocol i think that's what it was called and oh my god it was like crazy like everything just like goes crazy like everything stops the whole hospital kind of shuts down uh, almost and like everyone's just like just going like ev- just rapid fire everything stuff just happens like you don't even know what's happening it's just crazy um and that patient ended up having something like eight eight units i think and everyone was like oh my god eight units oh that was like the worst ever and there you are having 178 oh my god <laughs> that's that's (laughs) insane i mean obviously you you
0: not a competition but i win
1: (laughs) i think i think you win for all history almost there gosh i mean that must that must that really must have taken a toll on you i mean you said eight months it took you to to recover i'm
0: not absolutely and it, it, yeah, it took a it took a big toll, but it also then meant, you know, that that taxed my adrenals, it taxed my thyroid, it taxed all, all of my organ areas, and you know, I think probably for me, I, I just did a video on it that like I developed incontinence after that because I had to have like parts of my bladder reshaped and moved and so on, and now I've got kidney reflux and I've got damage to one of my kidneys, and for me, part of sharing my story is to be able to say, look, I've even had these things happen to me. And I'm doing brilliantly on this. Like, I'm you know inc- I don't have incontinence anymore. And I thought I would have that for life because I thought you know this was a surgical thing that's created this. I'm going to have it for life. It I only ever get that back if I've had a slip up and I've had something that's had a bit of sugar on it. Other than that, I have not had anything in the last six months since you know switching over to carnivore and my blood glucose starting to come down. Uh, and the same with my kidneys. Like I used to get kidney pain all of the time. I haven't had a kidney spasm in like that whole time that I have been carnivore, which is one of those things that people go, Oh, you've got to be really mindful of protein with, you know, kidney stuff. Hello, I'm over here and my kidneys are doing beautifully. Like all of these things are actually resolving themselves. Uh, and stuff that I didn't even think would actually get better, like eyesight. I used to have to wear glasses a hundred percent of the time to be able to function in my day. I don't even know where my glasses are right now because, like, it's been so long since I've actually put them on and needed them to actually read and do my life that I don't even really know where they are. They're somewhere in my van, but um, you know even that's changed my hair has grown back like I lost during that surgery they did things like chemotherapy to me they tried to chuck everything that they could to save my life and chemotherapy was one of those I lost big chunks of hair well my hair has grown back and it's like double the thickness that it was since starting carnivore I even have to cut my hair more now uh, and so you know that's a celebration but also oh Yes, I'm celebrating that. I'm not going to say that there's anything bad about that. (laughs) I can spend a little bit more on the hairdressers. Uh, But, you know, there's so much that's changed that I didn't even think was actually possible. I started for my blood glucose, but all of this other stuff has been beneficial side effects.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely noticed a lot of those issues, you know, that I had. I didn't even know were issues. Honestly, I mean, I've done videos and episodes speaking about like my IBS and so on and um, things that like my thumb pain, like I just I resigned myself to these are just going to be issues for the rest of my life, just disappeared. It's crazy. Like, It's insane that, that uh, you know, you are in like kind of post-surgical issues that were there and that you probably, I'm assuming you were just told, well, pff, this is forever now. It's surgical. Deal with it. Yeah,
0: This is the best it's going to get. <laughs>
1: that they're gone on on carnivore like that's crazy
0: absolutely and those are like you know for any woman who's out there or any man who's out there that's listening and going oh my gosh i'm suffering from incontinence you'll know how embarrassing that is and how horrible that experience can actually be and also just like you know with the kidney reflux i couldn't hold my bladder like if i held it i was going to get kidney pain so i just needed to go and having to know that there's a toilet nearby like and you're in the middle of busyness and life is a pain in the backside. Mm. Uh, and so having being able to let go of those things, not being able to go, I don't need to worry if there's a toilet nearby. I know I'm gonna be fine. Uh, I know I can manage this. I'm not gonna wet myself. I'm not gonna have kidney pain. Any of those types of things all add to quality of life, which is the fundamental importance to me is being able to improve the quality of my life, but also my family's life.
1: Mm. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned hair, of course. You, you noticed your hair regrow regrew a lot. I, certainly some people do notice that. Um, I've still not got huge amounts. But um, I, I do feel like it's regrowing um, slowly, slowly. Uh, but I do feel like it's regrowing. And certainly uh, I had a little ball spot underneath my chin. Yeah, that's definitely grown in now. Um, but I, I certainly noticed my hair grows a lot more. Definitely in terms of the rate, not necessarily the the volume or the thickness, but the the rate. Definitely, um, I have to cut my hair like three times a week to keep it looking somewhat respectable. Um, it's just ridiculous. I have to trim my beard like every every day. Um, otherwise, it just looks looks so overgrown. Um, and that, I, I noticed that change dramatically with with carnivore, uh, which is which is definitely interesting, of course. Um, I had to
0: do a big cut of my hair because my hair was down to about here (laughs) and you could see where I'd started carnivore (laughs) because I had like this big mass of hair here and then it was really thin here. So I I just had to do a big cut so that it was all even because you could tell like where my hair had started growing back from carnivore. And I used to have like this massive bald patch there uh, and that's all kind of grown in now and there's all, you know, hair coming through there too. Yeah. I like to say that because there's a lot of women in my age group or above that have gone through menopause or are going through menopause that their hair really starts to thin at that stage and they think that it's never coming back and they start to have to buy wigs and all sorts of other things. And for me it's really encouraging to, I didn't expect it was going to happen but it absolutely did happen and it's encouraging to be able to say to them, hey, you probably need a little bit more protein. Even if you're not going carnivore, maybe can we start to look at adding a bit more protein and a bit mm. more fat into your actual diet and just see what happens
1: yeah and i I think that's very very good advice there um i mean i i can obviously assume but i'll let you answer where is it that you're going to from here are you planning on staying carnivore is there anything that would stop you staying on the carnivore diet
0: so at this point in time i always have an asterisk which is i reserve the right to change my mind at any time but my intention at this point is that i'll probably be carnivore for life now now there is a part of me that sometimes dances with the idea of like when i've reached all my health goals and i'm really healthy and well that maybe i could bring in a little bit of fruit here and there and be a bit more keto war. but if i'm really honest i don't think that i'll be able to manage that at this point in time like with the the addiction that i have to carbohydrates the likelihood is that that would send me into a spiral where i would find myself backtracking and i don't want to do that so for me It's easier just to kind of go, nope, never. Maybe on the day that I die, if I'm going to die and I'm on my deathbed, I'll be like, bring me the pavlova and the strawberries. Um, But other than that, at this point in time, that's not my intention. My intention is to stay carnivore um, unless something changes. Like if I get to a point where this is not working for me anymore, then I might actually make some changes and actually start to tweak it or play with it. But from right now, from the space where I'm sitting, this is probably for life for me.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm exactly the same. I reserve the right to change. You know, if at any point it stops feeling right, I'll I'll, I'll make that change. If my bloods go off, whatever, like I'll make that change. But yeah, same thing for me. I I toyed with the idea maybe of fruit, but then I kind of look at it in the fridge and I'm like, yeah, I still don't want it. If I don't want it, I feel like my body doesn't need it. So I'm not going to go and then mess with it. And I know I'm addicted to carbs completely and uh and and i know what would happen if i go down that route i'm going to go back to square when i'm going to end up back at 108 kilos again you know putting 40 kilos on again and uh yeah i don't i don't want to be back at that point
0: well- I I did it for Christmas. So, you know, I had the whole thing of like, well, it's Christmas Day. I will do, I'll pick one thing. And I picked my favorite, which of course is pavlova. Uh, And so on that day, I had my piece of pavlova and I was happy as a pig in mud. And then the next day I was like, oh, I really want to eat more now. And it actually wasn't until that moment that I realised how significant my own um, carb addiction and sugar addiction actually is because it took a full two weeks to actually get myself out of that space and I started to get an inkling of what it must be like for somebody who's coming off heroin or cocaine or alcohol because, like, I could have peeled my skin off with how, you know, I had to keep myself so busy to try and keep my mind Off of this food, and I had to do what I usually do: is jump straight into one of my favorite meats. I need to go and you know buy the things that I really love to eat, so that I can just keep myself full and satisfied, so that my there's no room for any of these things. Uh, And then you know, within about two weeks, that had died down again, and it was like a really good lesson to learn. Um, But I hadn't really realized how much of an addict I was till that moment because i was always a savory girl you you're going to give me steak or cake i'll take the steak any day uh except for when i'm in a sugar craving Mm. high uh and i was totally there at that point
1: yeah i mean i always said the same i'm you know i'm a a savory uh person same steak cake i'll take the steak but yeah i still have a really bad really bad sugar addiction um and, and that is a great example you shared there and it took you two weeks almost to actually get over that mm. um i mean that's just the power that these 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 foods have that sugar has you know it really is addictive and of course we know there's studies uh to be fair it's rat studies my studies etc but showing that it's more more addictive than than cocaine you know like and
0: i think it's socially acceptable as well like yeah you know if you're an alcoholic, you can avoid most of the places where alcohol is. You can choose not to go to the pubs and the clubs. You can choose not to go into the bottle shop. But if you are a sugar or a food addict, you can't avoid it. You can't not go to the supermarket unless you order everything in online, but then you're still seeing it while you're doing that ordering process. Like you can't avoid it. And so I think sometimes that means it's a little bit harder to kick, but also it's socially acceptable. Nobody's like, you know, losing their marriage because they're 40 kilos overweight but they might be losing their marriage because they're addicted to alcohol but the ramifications can be somewhat similar to mm. their life and their health
1: absolutely right and of course unlike with alcohol um yeah like you can obviously you can avoid that a little bit easier if you're addicted to cocaine meth anything like that of course and we're not advocating for taking those um then of course yeah it's it you can avoid those a little bit easier but with sugar you go to the supermarket Every aisle, every single aisle almost is just sugar. And it's brightly colored and it's attractive and it's always on special. And, you know, you get around the whole shop and maybe you manage to avoid it. And then you get to the counter and what's there? Sugar. And you leave the shop yeah. and what's on the ads outside? Sugar. What's on the ads on the TV at home? Sugar. It's it's everywhere and it's such predatory marketing it's so hard to avoid and of course it's socially acceptable um and uh you know i had a gp on not long ago talking about you know when they went out for dinner with their friends and they just saw all these you know dessert and and you know of course you go out for dinner you must eat dessert and it was like deep fried ice cream and it's like you know just sugar overload and yeah it's just it's totally acceptable if that person was having deep fried cocaine like (laughs) probably people are going to look and say, what the hell are you doing? You know, but sugar, no, it's absolutely fine. Um, This has been an amazing conversation, Christina, and I am conscious of time. Um, Is there anything else that you want to add that we haven't spoken about so far?
0: I think if there was anything to add that I would, well, the one thing that I I would add is that, first of all, one of the things that I see, a lot of women need permission to eat meat. There have been given this philosophy that it's bad for them that you know they shouldn't eat it etc cetera, etc cetera, give yourself permission to lean into it and try it and if you're listening to this or any of the other videos that or podcasts that um, have been created around these topics experiment with yourself like definitely do it with the supervision of a doctor if you've got medical conditions that need that but start by playing and actually exploring what actually works for you and how that might work for you Um, don't be scared to step outside of the norm
1: Yeah, absolutely. And how can people find you? Because, of course, you're a digital nomad, so you could be anywhere in the country. Um, And uh, I won't ask you where you are now for security reasons and whatever, but um, how can people find you, social media and so forth? If they want to come and see you or telehealth with you or so on, how can they find you?
0: Yeah, so you can find me on Facebook, Instagram. Um, I'm I'm even on TikTok. (laughs) uh just find just put in christina matthewson and you'll find me there somewhere um but also you can find me on youtube where i'm sharing my journey and some of the um bits and pieces of information that people want to know about carnivore um, along the way which is basically the carnivore naturopath christina that's me
1: yeah and you of course do the carnivore conversations uh, which yeah. I was on, of course. So, if anyone searches for that, they'll probably find you as well. Obviously, I'll make sure to put all the links in the description so people can come and find you. Um, thank you so much, Christina. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. I was really looking forward to getting you back on my channel, uh, or getting you on my channel rather, so we could have this conversation. Um, and hopefully, our viewers and listeners out there have got good value from this. And hopefully, there's doctors there listening as well, thinking maybe I've been a bit hard on naturopaths perhaps. Uh and maybe we've got more in common than than we realise. Um thank you so much, Christina, and I'll let you go. Thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode of the Meat Medic podcast. Uh we'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you for this thank you for listening to this episode of the Meat Medic Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help to spread the word that how, how we can improve mental and physical health through diet and nutrition. If you are imp- interested in improving your own, okay, let's just re-record that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meat Medic podcast. If you found this episode useful, please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help out the channel to grow. If you have found this useful and you want to improve your physical and mental health further, please do check out my website, themeatmedic.com, where you can find all my eBooks are currently fifty percent off with the code fifty off. That's code fifty off five zero off o for fifty percent off all eBooks. Take care, thank you, see you in the next episode.